0: All right, y'all, well, welcome to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Uh, I just got off with Andrew, Coach Rafferty. Uh, Of course, he delivered the heat for y'all, man. Uh, We got to talk about everything about medicine ball training, um, about rotational athletes, what he's doing, how he programs it, how he progresses it, how he implements it into his own strength conditioning uh, setting. Uh, We got to talk about, like, how... We need to do more rotational stuff with our athletes, um, and the differences between that rotational and non-rotational athletes, um, how to implement, uh, ball training with them as well. Um, we got to talk about uh, a little bit of the PE side, right? So, uh, licensure, uh, especially for the state of Mississippi, we got to talk about buy-in, we got to talk about everything else, man. So, um... He did an awesome job with this episode. Uh, got to talk a lot of great content for y'all. So again, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a fellow coach or someone that you think would enjoy this podcast. A uh, couple of things before we get going off of here. Uh, definitely want to talk about our new sponsor, which is the Working Dog Coffee. Okay, This is from Brennan Sweeney down in uh, North Carolina. Uh, has a coffee has a coffee um, company down there, and um, something about that company is is that you know there's so many people I know that miserly consume coffee through disturbing products on the market, and the solution we have is offering in an organic coffee that doesn't have any of the nasty side effects. That's a poorly regulated energy drink. The products—the only products you'll need on the label are 100% organic coffee with organic flavoring. Our two flavors, which is the mouth and the burner, are a great mix of a high caffeine product and a classic Com- Colombian favorite blend for coffee drinkers. You can use the code CHATS for 15% off. And every bag you buy will help support Working Dogs Charities around the country. Again, that is code CHAS for the coffee. Now, also, we have to talk about the other sponsor of this podcast. What's the other sponsor for this podcast? You can believe it. It is Team Builder. So let's talk about Team Builder. Team Builder is the software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with an elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team is full of tools that coaches need like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with team builders and house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. Enjoy this episode of the Conjugate Chats. Welcome back to another episode of the conjugate chats um, it is currently December 18th of 2023 bright um, early on this Monday morning recording another episode for everyone here Um back in the studio aka uh, my kitchen with the mantle and the Christmas decorations in the back I know that y'all can't see it because this is just a audio but I figured I'd let everyone know. Uh, we got a pretty epic episode for you today. We um, got a man from Mississippi. He is also last year's NHS SCA State Coach of the Year, and I believe he has one of the best mustaches, if not the best mustache in the game, strength game right now, uh, Mr. Andrew Rafferty. Andrew, Coach Rafferty, however you want me to uh, call you, uh, it's awesome for you to be on the podcast, man. Oh, man,
1: I'm happy to be here. you you know, got to go coach for everything. You can call me Andrew, whatever comes out. Dude, it's all good. And just happy to be able to sit down and, and talk to all things, grant condition with you. Yes,
0: yeah, sir. Well, uh, I met Andrew back in October um, yep. at the Tennessee Family Day where he gave um, a live hands-on session about med ball training with rotational athletes. And I gave probably one of the shittiest uh, presentations of all time. Or, uh yeah, I stumbled and rushed to it very really, uh, quickly. So, uh, yeah, you got to experience that. Anyways, um, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about a lot of med ball training. Um, I know that's something that you're pretty passionate about. Um, and also that, you know, you were a former baseball player at one point, and you talk a lot about rotational stuff with your baseball, softball, and pretty much any athletes. So let's mm-hmm. kind of dive deep, ba- deep, dive deep in that hole. Um, so where do you start with med balls? Like, do you, where do do you play, place them in your training?
1: Yeah. So, um, a lot of it, just like with all situations, especially in the high school sector, just comes down to our time available and what the training age of our kid is. And depending upon how much time, how many sessions a week they get, usually with most of my athletes, I see them twice a week for roughly a combined two hours. Um, so a little crunch for time, so not as much time to do everything that I would like. So typically, how we do, we do a war- typical warm up, dynamic warm up, ten maybe ten minutes, and we'll get into what I call just like a power circuit, which is where we'll have whatever we're testing for that day, whether it be a sprint or a jump, uh, alongside either some other prowler type pushes, medicine ball throws, um, and other various jumps, and there just ways to microdose it. Um, and then that's really where we see a bulk of our medicine ball throws. Um, every day uh, that athlete comes to see me, we're going to throw something against the wall. Um, I, I I personally just love it. I think that the athlete can get a lot out of it if it's programmed correctly. And it also gives them a chance to get out some frustrations that they might have throughout the day. And it's just a, a good time for all. Um, so, uh, a lot of it starts, um, I start pretty basic um, in our offseason with it, okay, when we're looking at rotational throws. Um, because the main thing for me is we must be able to rotate efficiently, especially with my rotational athletes. With the, my rotational athletes, I would group those as baseball, softball, tennis, golf, anything where rotation is a primary thing of your sport now all our sports yes we rotate and i train rotationally with all of our sports but that is i have a different set of things i look for when it comes to rotational versus non-rotational athlete uh rotational athletes we're gonna get a little bit more technical um because their sport depends on it like i'm not going to increase the chances of creating bad habits for our rotational athletes whereas with my non-rotational athletes, we're looking more at a stimulus, uh, kind of like max velocity sprint. Uh, we know, uh, I mean, I was very fortunate this past year to get some Titan sensors and some GPS units. I know that they're becoming more readily available for our high school coaches. Um, and just be able to break down and see, like, how often do athletes get the max speed? Well, it's not not that much in a game. Um, yeah, we'll see some that hit, hit a new top speed in game, but usually they help around that 85 90%. But all athletes, we still sprint at a max speed because we want that stimulus. So for my non-rotational athletes, it's more of a stimulus, more of an adaptation we're chasing, whereas for my rotational athletes, we're looking more at a technical side. Um, So when we're doing rotational throws, um, two main ones we'll do, we'll do a shot foot throw, which resembles uh, my hand placement, more of a pushing method, uh, almost like a shot foot. And then uh, what I call a scoop toss is where our arms are a little bit longer. Um, we rotate where you have the ball hanging down below the hip and we're throwing the ball into the wall that way. Um, one thing I found about medicine ball throws is everyone has a different name for medicine ball throws. So while we go through this, I'll try to explain what I'm talking about when uh, we do uh, what names I have for medicine ball throws. Um, but no, we start everybody out uh, in a half meal stance. And all that is, is my knee closest to the wall is our leg close to the wall is the leg that is up, uh, leg furthest from the wall is the leg that's down. Um, and from there, like we're just taking the lower part of the body out of it, essentially and getting the athletes to feel themselves rotate, starting at their hip, uh, and then let the hands come, uh, usually we'll. Stay in that for two to three weeks, uh, a little bit longer with some of my younger athletes, older athletes, uh, typically right after a season, especially for the rotational guys, will stay there. It doesn't put as much force on that lower back, um, which they experience so much of. But that's usually our starting point, um, making certain that they can stay good vertical torso as they rotate, because a lot of athletes still have a tendency to want to throw their head to the wall. So that's a controlled place for us to start when it comes to our medicine ball throws. So that's usually where we start, um, and like I said, we we typically have that going on during um, our what I call our power circuit warm up. Um, easy place for me to go around It kind of breaks the athletes up into where there's seven or eight of them at the wall at a time, so I can get a little bit more more in depth with them. And then I, I'll have like some of our other sport coaches; they'll uh, be the ones that are using our sprinting or laser system or our jump mat, whatever we're testing. That way I can get out, be on the floor more and coach a little bit. But that's usually where we start um with our rotational throws is just a basic half kneel either shot foot or scoop toss throw um and getting athletes to feel their torso be vertical while their back hip attacks the wall.
0: Awesome coach. I really like your in-depth process between you know rotational and non-rotational athletes there. Um kind of taking a step back as well You talk about almost like chasing a stimulus rather than anything else. I mean, we can talk about the Titan GPS game as well because we were fortunate enough to have it this past uh, season with football and a couple of soccer games here and there. And one thing that I've noticed, and I'm sure you notice as well, is that if we're reaching max velocity in something like football, one or two things are happening. Either we're having a big breakaway run or someone's getting hawked down or trying to get hawked down. Either big plays having it on the offense or defensive side, whether that's good or bad. Um, it almost seems like that, you know, even sprinting wise, that's for, I guess, more game time or game speed, if you want to call it that, it's more sub maximal. Same thing with strength. Like most of the time, we're not hitting, you know, 500 on the field. It's a lot of the submaximal strength that actually applies to our sport. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a great job there. Um, let's talk about like reps and sets. So you, you talk about your power circuit in the beginning. So mm-hmm. what, what is your rep and set range for, uh, those power circuits and how do you progress that at through the off season, through the preseason into the end season?
1: Yeah. So, um, what we're looking at, uh, typically, um, I'll take anywhere from, I want to try to keep it in a, under 15 minute time window for the total circuit just because if i spend five to ten minutes to go through our dynamic warm-up 10 to 15 in our circuit that still gives us about 35 to 40 good minutes of actual weight training um so typically we'll go from anywhere from two to three rounds of our circuit and usually with our throws um i like to keep them in the three to five range almost like our almost how I would do with an Olympic lift when we're doing sub-maximal, um, anytime with power or a speed thing. I mean, making certain we have adequate amount of rest in between. So it is a true max effort each time. That's kind of where what I'm looking at. Um, I tried for a little bit. I mean, I think every all season I play around with the idea of doing some extensive uh, medicine ball throws. And every time after I finish it, I just feel like we wasted a little bit of time. Uh, I don't feel like the uh, – the fruit is worth the squeeze there um, because like a lot of times, I mean, with high school kids, like when they start to slow it down with something like a throw, it just, everything goes out the window. It's just kind of like they're playing cake with the ball on the wall and we're just not getting any good work done. And, you know, if I had trained everybody for five days a week, had 90 minutes a day or anything like that, like perfect scenarios, like, yeah, I would get a little bit more in depth with that, but based on our time constraints, that's usually where we go is sticking in that three to five rep range, anywhere from two to four total sets of it. Now, uh, I used to struggle with uh, figuring out how to progress our throws um, outside of just um, the variety of it, as, as complexity or changing throw up a little bit as far as sets and reps and with weight to use. Um, and what I found worked over the past couple years is I tried to mirror sets and reps Doing with our resistance training. Like if we are currently in a loading phase, well, each week we are going to like this will be early off season. I'm gonna add a couple reps and the weight of the ball will get heavier. Um I have some balls ranging from two to fifteen pounds, increments of two until you get to ten and then it goes up to fifteen. Um so we'll progress that. Now, one thing with progressing weight on rotational throws, and I'll Talk a little bit about this um with my rotational athletes I do not want to screw up the kinematic sequence um and for those people I'll talk about the kinematic sequence for a little bit that don't understand um pretty much it tells us how we rotate efficiently um so when I rotate I want it to start from my back leg to my knee to my hip to my torso to my hands and implement um so one of the the biggest excuse that I want to give athletes is, hey, my hips deliver my hand. And what I find happens if you rush weight, like if you're sitting here like, well, we need to throw more, more weight, the ball needs to be heavier. A lot of times if the weight gets too heavy, the athlete is going to start to have their hands lead their swing or lead their throw. And so that's going to create bad habits, especially for our rotational athletes, because the most important thing is that back hip, back knee starting my rotation because um, if I'm just sitting there like, well, I want to add, add weight, they need to add weight, they need to add weight, and I get into it, and all of a sudden, well, now their hands are leading them, okay, well, now they're going to get out into their sport, okay, I've done a bad job of helping prepare them, okay, to actually be able to be successful on the field, I've kind of worked against the sport coach, and so now we're creating bad habits, so they have to be able to check the box that, yes, we're moving correctly, my kinematic sequence is correct, awesome, okay, so then we're in loading phase. We'll start to weight each week. Weight will increase a little bit. Reps might increase a little bit as well. Our sets will increase. Um, usually, increasing one set, one to two sets, one to two reps a week. Almost pretty much standard how you would do any type of barbell movement. Um, then once we start to transition into more of a power phase, uh, that's when we'll start to break the weights down a little bit, and then I'll start to move to a faster movement. Um, so early off season. We're starting, we'll start light, build to heavier and slower. And then as we start to progress towards the season, we'll kind of do the inverse of it. Um, also, played around a little bit because um, with some of my programming for some of my more advanced athletes, we we undulate a little bit more. And so I've kind of tried to pair our medicine ball throws to where we're at, that undulation. And that usually worked at that. We had some great success with that too. Um, but you, that's what fa- I found helped me out the best was I wanted to try to make my throws kind of similar to what we're doing with the barbell that day um, and where we're at in those programs because i found that that helps the athlete i'm not going to work against each other okay and i feel like a lot of times at least when i was first starting out i just programmed throws didn't really have a way of progressing weight or reps it's just like hey we're gonna go throw this ball three times at this wall well we'll go with the six pound ball today and not actually having a plan. Uh, just because i really didn't know where to where to start and then i just kind of started thinking about how i programmed everything else and i was like well let's go with that and we had a lot of success with that um and one way that i see how our success is being measured is uh our baseball team i'll borrow a couple of their radar guns we will bring them in like once every seven eight weeks we'll test to see how fast we can throw medicine balls at different a different weight and um that allows me to see how they're actually progressing and when they start to see something getting recorded or like they start to see like oh i'm about to get a reading on how hard i threw this it drives intent a little bit more too i would love to have enough money to have some display boards up there that shows them how hard each throw is but uh we work with what we got and i found a lot of success with having it mirror our strength training for that day
0: that's awesome. That's awesome, Andrew. Because I never thought about, have, you know, pulling out the radar gun and, you know, if something's important enough, you're going to test it, and then mm-hmm. if it's even more important, you're going to measure it, and then, what is it? What is it called? Um, rank, record, record, rank, publish. That from the, mm-hmm. uh, Tony Holler. I mean, if yep. it's important enough, you're go- you're going to record it, you're going to rank it. That that's completely awesome. There. Um, so you're talking about other benefits from uh, medicine ball training as well with your athletes. Um, is there anything else that you've had noticed that comes along with that? Um, have you noticed like less injuries in certain aspects, like uh less like um uh, I guess lower back injuries or anything like that?
1: Yeah, we can talk a little bit about, about that. Um so something that so I live in Mississippi down here in Clinton right outside the Jackson area and one thing about living in the South is you can play sports like baseball year round. Um at good and bad thing at the same time because there's too many people and which goes down a whole nother issue of youth sports and parents that think that their kid needs to play one sport year round from the time they're five until they're 18 and that's going to magically make them a division one player but it's very prevalent in the area that i'm from and of just constant playing of baseball or softball and the amount of force that it puts on your lower back to rotate as hard and as fast as you can is is ridiculous and i've seen a lot of little bars fractures in people's l5 just because of how much they're rotating how much they're swinging and implement without any break and parents just don't take their kids to actually get them in a strength training program so all it is is sport 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 we're not actually developing muscles to help reduce that chances of injury Um, So one thing that I've been seeing and that we do here, when we get to end season for our baseball, softball, tennis, golf, we stop with rotational throws. Um, And we focus more on just anti-rotation movements, a lot of payoff presses and variations of that, uh, building anti-rotation and just building up those decelerators because I don't want to put any more stress on them than they're already having because uh, there's one thing I I we mentioned earlier. I played baseball. Good, I was able to play it in college for, for pretty successfully, and um, I know how once you get to baseball season, the amount of swings that you are taking and expected and the length of practices. Because for some reason, baseball coaches think that six-hour practices are okay. And I I've, I've been there. I was a baseball coach. Very average baseball coach found my love in this and it's great for the opportunity to be here but the amount of time spent under that stress is just is a bad thing and I've heard some people talk about well what if you just do opposite side throws like if I'm a left-handed hitter only throwing medicine balls right-handed well if you look at the numbers in a practice I could take anywhere from 50 to 200 cuts Uh, depending on what we were doing that day and extra work after practice or before practice. Well, if I'm going to my training and uh, we're doing medicine ball throws, well, we throw at most maybe 25 throws, still not going to balance anything out. Um, So I I did that at one point, but not so much anymore. I tend to just focus on the anti-rotation side, do a lot of crawls and things of that nature, kind of just help with that reduction of energy, I mean injury.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's smart training also as well because you understand what the demands of these athletes are going through at particular times throughout the year. And I know because travel ball is huge in the South, like you said, and I had probably four or five football players who are doing travel ball on the weekends, but they're also, you know, clining to each other every Friday night. And that is insane within itself because you're like, you're putting your body through hell. And yeah. at some point, whether that's week one or, you know, week 10, week 11 into into the playoffs, it's going to give out. And then for a couple of those kids, yeah. you know, we had some lower back injuries. We had, uh, you know, ankles here and there. We had shoulders here and there. I mean, like if you, are just sitting there going balls to the wall from Friday, Saturday to Sunday, and then coming back Monday, colliding each other through Monday through Thursday, then doing it all over again. At some point, your body's gonna give out.
1: Oh yeah, and that's a that's a big big thing right now uh, with our soccer program. So Mississippi, we play soccer during the winter. Um, we're one of I think we do it. Louisiana, Florida, Texas, California. Not sure what other states do it, um, but. We've, I'm very blessed that our soccer program's here, where right? I get to work with some phenomenal athletes. But also, around this time, uh, there's a few big club tournaments that happen to get teams qualified. Club teams qualified for nationals. So we'll have, like, uh, last week, we're in our district play. Um, they play Thursday night or then all of a sudden our Friday night they turn around and a couple of our girls have to go off to Orlando to play in this qualifying tournament. And then on Monday we turn around and have another district game after playing playing three games that weekend. So they played five soccer games in a three-day stretch. And it's like, man, and I've got girls that now, like when we come to training, like we got so many nicks and bruises that it's just like, all right, we got some groins, we got some knees, some ankles, so we gotta spend a little bit more time helping them recover from that. But also our our soccer coaches here, they do a great job of, they know when those tournaments are happening or when those big qualifier things are so they'll make sure not to schedule hey, one of our varsity games are a big, meaningful varsity game for those dates or the date immediately following because he understands that hey, these kids are going to be there because we work with some, our, we have some really good soccer athletes that have some great opportunities after high school and that's one way where they get noticed so it's just, it's a big managing thing of of time and trying to make sure that their bodies are ready to compete at the highest level
0: awesome job coach also let's talk about um especially with rotating the spine and it not being compressed all the time from weightlifting. what are the advantages to that
1: okay so awesome so uh a lot of people don't feel like much of that listen they all understand the said principle um and our body adapts to the demands we put on so if all we do is weight room movements that go in the sagittal plane, so up and down, okay, bar on our back. Our spine is going to be in a state of compression, as like you said. So it's going to adapt to that, okay? Like powerlifters, they want their spine to be a nice rigid, almost like a, a rod pole, okay, because they're going to be putting 600, 700, 800-plus pounds on their back. Athletes, we don't want our spine to become rigid because then that's going to affect our weight to bend and to move around people um so if i live in a state of compression that's what my body is going to adapt to so i'm not saying that we don't squat because of course we squat uh, or we don't put bars on our back we put bars on our back but that can't be the only thing we do in training uh we have to find ways to get outside of the schedule plane. uh easy way okay especially for high schools because we don't have all these a lot of high schools don't have all these fancy equipment okay kaiser machines and all these other things that you see that any baseball coach who looks at Eric Cressy and sees all of his great, wonderful toys, like they're awesome. I would love to have them, but we don't, but everybody can get medicine balls. Okay. You can get medicine balls for relatively cheap. Um, and that's just an easy way to rotate the spine. Okay. Um, and going into that, it's just finding ways to get your body, your body to move laterally and rotationally. Um, it doesn't take much. Uh, like I said, like we spend maybe 10, 15 minutes a day doing it. Um, it's helped our athletes stay healthy. Um, it helps us move better. Um, it, it just allows us to actually adapt to what we'll see in sport. Uh, I've got to be able to move. I've got to be able to rotate. I've got to be able to bend and get around people. I mean, that's why we've started to see a lot more coaches, and myself included, we don't just do straight linear speed work. Like Yes, we still We'll chase the stimulus, but we're going to do curve runs. We're going to do chases where there's implements where you have to change direction because that's what we see in sport. Um, it's not just so much us just dragging our knuckles and us going into the weight room, seeing how much we can squat, clean, and bench, and then getting out of there. No, we need to move side to side. We've got to rotate. Um, that's, that's one of the, the many benefits of throwing medicine balls. Other things. Um, other big implements that we've gotten recently that I've really enjoyed. Um, what's that strap? Uh, they're fantastic. Just an easier way uh, for me to be able to load our athletes rotationally and get them to feel correct rotational patterns, uh, especially for some of my uh, some of our rotational guys. Um, a big issue uh, that we see, okay, that my our coaches talk to me about, especially with our um, with our baseball players. Uh, is getting their lead leg block. Uh, all that means is, as I'm swinging, my front leg, or as I'm throwing, my front leg needs to lock out as my back hip is rotating through my front hip to help create torque, so I can rotate a little bit more powerfully and efficiently. Um, and so, me finding ways and me understanding. The game a little bit because I was just been around it so much. It allows for me to help put our athletes in those positions and those straps do a great job of being able for me to first off load them and give some actual some rotational work in, while also having something to carry over to their sport. Um, so that's something that I found a, a huge benefit in. Um, another thing, because uh, I mean, I feel like a lot of this. Yes, this sounds very sport specific. And I know that there's a lot of people that take on sport specific training. And it's not that – like, I'm trying to meet the demands of the game. Um, I'm not going to get there and put – like, get a baseball bat and put – scrap 10-pound plates on it and have them swing. But when we throw something rotationally, I, I need it to look like it. And um, I have different ways that I would say it. But one of the biggest things for me – is talking to like our baseball coach or our softball coach. Hey, how do you teach your athletes? What do you say? What's your cue that you give them to get their back hip or their back knee to drive forward? And like our baseball coach, they, they say a bunch of uh, backside L. So essentially they want their back leg to resemble an L, which has their, shows their knee going into their front calf, their back hip going through their front hip, and their, their term is hey backside L. So I now know whenever we're doing rotational throws, and I see a kid that's not getting their back hips through the wall, is I can go up to them and say, hey, man, we need to get into that backside L. And then that clicks with them because they hear that every day from their four baseball coaches. It would be dumb of me to have my own verbiage to try to say to them because then it just starts to get their mind rolling. And they're like, what is he saying? What does he mean? What does he mean? And so that's a big thing for me is to actually – and that's that comes off with all things. If we're talking change of direction with our soccer kids, I want to use the same terms that my soccer coaches are using to give it to them so that they all understand we're all unified so that the kids can learn. Because if they, they already hear so, so many voices. They got their coach, sport coach, they got my voice, they got everything that's on Instagram and Twitter and all these other coaches that they have in their lives and we can't be unified and it's just gonna be more harm than good.
0: Exactly, and also having a good relationship with your coaches so you can understand their verbs and their terminology um, mm-hmm. is is huge because I mean, if you're on two different pages, man, it, it's uh, it, your athletes are suffering at that point. It's because, like you said, you know, they're getting the voice from, you know, social media and this fitness uh, I quote trainer and loosely um, are telling them that you know, slow feed, don't eat, and all this other crap, and and um, you know, and then they go to baseball, they get this terminology, and then they go to you, and then we try to sound, you know smarter scientific when all it's just could be used in very simple terminology
1: oh yeah that's one thing like i tried not to with my athletes i try not to use any big terms possible Like any scientific terms like because yeah they're, they're fun to say they're fun to do but it doesn't get me anywhere like that's one thing like i was so grateful for how i started and got in this field so I, I mean, I went to college, played baseball there. I majored in history. I started off just being a high school teacher. Um, then I got into coaching baseball with, with the next job. And then after after a few years, ended up getting a master's in exercise science and was able to get my school board on board with us create this position. But the fact of me starting off as a teacher, it showed me how I have to be able to relate relations or information to kids. Um, If I had just been a coach, yeah, I would have had some of those skills, but it actually allows for me to understand, like, it doesn't matter what I know. Like it that that doesn't matter. What matters is what I can teach people. And like if I can't teach them how to do something or put it into terms that they understand, well then it does me no good. My knowledge is no longer of any value. Like I could be the smartest person in the world, but if I can't teach them the information in a way that they learn. Well, then we got nowhere. Um, So that's that's a a big thing. And then that's also another thing. Like, I'll see – and it blows my mind because I'll see a bunch of baseball coaches. And coaches that I know are good baseball coaches, I'll see them post videos of their kids throwing medicine balls or using implements like that. And it's like their coach's eye has gone completely out the window. Like, they see stuff that Eric Cresty has done with some of his elite athletes And they're like, all right, I'm going to take my 16-year-old who has a training age of one and I'm going to try to make him do the same thing that this eight-year Major League Baseball veteran pitcher is doing with this medicine ball throw. And then it just doesn't look good and they just keep on doing it. And I I know you know that doesn't look right, yet you're having your kids do it because you saw this big name guy i mean because anybody who's in strength conditioning with the baseball sense knows about eric cressy like he is like one of the standards for baseball training and it's like yeah but you didn't see what these guys did to get there it doesn't matter that like yeah they're doing this really cool implement but i want to keep things as simple all right like like a little bit more about our pros like we'll start with our half kneel then we'll come up to a bilateral stance um, and once they do good in just their bilateral, what I call for our rotational guys, our baseball, soccer, or I mean, not soccer, baseball, softball, and tennis guys, um, our post-stride stance, once they get a feeling of that, then we'll move into like an athletic core component where we might be doing a setback throw or a shuffle to throw where they're actually feeling themselves push from that back toe and have that energy transfer up their body. But I'm not going to get too crazy with them too early on because they're not ready for it yeah it looks cool and like yeah it might get some likes on twitter or it might get you some followers on instagram and people might think that you're great because you're doing this cool implement that this professional does with high level athletes but you're not helping the kid you're doing a disservice to the kid and so that's what i see a lot of
0: i agree there as well so talking about being the teacher and delivering information to kids is a skill set that I think a lot of high school strength coaches need because you need to be able to deliver information, deliver deliver your instruction to how they understand it. And it does; it's not just delivering a whiteboard instruction and then yelling. I mean, some kids can pick it up, most cannot. So mm-hmm. that that is a essential skill I think that you, you hit on being a high school teacher, and then. Having this transition into a full-time strength coach is like, yes, you know, I can sit there and scream and holler, jump, scream, you know, climb to the top of a rack and give instructions, whatever. But, you know, each kid delivered or receives instruction and receives information a lot different. And especially nowadays because they have a lot of distractions, you know, from outside our own weight room. So, uh, uh let's talk about i had something in mind for you oh yeah transitioning from uh, uh so did you teach history first
1: yeah so i started off uh we can just say teach a little loosely uh because what it was what the first was, i was in the inner city jackson school and that was just a whole different list of things but then uh so i was there for two years and i came to clinton where i'm at now um Six years ago uh, and when I first came here I was a history teacher assistant baseball coach Uh, did that for five years or yeah five and now I'm in my third year of full-on strength and conditioning so yeah I taught, taught history taught history for five years everything from Mississippi studies world geography U.S. history all all of our basic core social studies classes and then now I'm um, teach PE and strength and our strength coach.
0: So what did the transition look like for you? I mean, did you have to go to the uh, district to give a proposal? Yeah, uh, so, I mean, what yeah, was what yeah. like?
1: Okay. So, uh, um, so what, what it was, was, uh, coaching baseball, um, knew I was going to get my master's originally. I just figured I would just get my master's in history, get a little bit of a pay increase here. But then I started thinking about like, you know what, like, is that really what I was going to do? Like, I'm, I'm very self-aware. Like I, I understood, like I had no desire to ever become a head baseball coach, loved baseball, loved being around the game. I mean, been around it since I was real young. Uh, but then I also understood like, I'm not, I'm great at developing relationships with these kids. I'm not the best baseball coach. Uh, very, very average. I can get kids who I want, but I don't see things like I should. And then I, as, we start getting into stuff and we're training like I realized like, man, I have a real real knack for for our for weight training and speed development and stuff like that, so I was like i' i might want to get in and pursue this and so like I mean, I've always loved training, working out all that type of stuff, the stuff you hear every strength coach say, and so then I started looking on to get my masters like I get my master's in exercise science. so I found a program that allowed me to do it uh online uh Really enjoyed it. And so from the time that I finished my master's in about a year, I got my CSCS. And from that point, I started talking with our school board, our superintendent about, like, hey, this is a need. This is what we we, we need to have this. And luckily, um, our school district is a one-school school district. Uh, it's just twin Public Schools. We don't have – we're not a county district or anything like that. So problem with a lot of county districts, you, if one, one school has something, everybody's got to have it. Um, and so i would coached three of the five school board members, kids in baseball, had a great relationship with the kids, man. Like They were some of my first kids. They were all in seventh grade when I first started here. They all just graduated two years ago. Um, but three years ago, um, we had a transition in baseball coaches, um, and just talking with our athletic director and our school board and they're like, Hey, we're, we're going to give this a shot. Uh, so I transitioned from being a a history teacher, um, started working a PE spot over at our junior high and then training our, whichever varsity teams needed or wanted my services. Um, start off the first year, uh, with our baseball, softball, and our soccer programs essentially were, were the bulk of them. Um, after that, that first year, uh, pretty much the two teams that bought in immediately and they're some of the best relationships with the coaches I have are our boys and girls soccer team. Um, Those are two just fantastic coaches. And they pretty much just told me like, Hey, we want to do this. We're all in. Uh, We went through that first year. Uh, The first year we had it, I think we missed out of a total of 40 athletes. We missed maybe two Two kids missed one game due to an injury. Uh, the boys won the state, cha- the 6A state championship that year. Our girls were runner-up. Uh, we followed up last year. Uh, our boys go undefeated uh, in soccer, win the state championship. Our girls win the state championship. And then uh, right now, I mean, just a testament to the kids that we have, and those coaches, and their buy-in with me, and just how awesome of athletes they are. Boys are currently ranked for schools that play winter soccer. They're ranked number one in the nation, and our girls are in the top ten. Neither one have lost this year. So, I mean, it's just been – with them, that's been awesome. But then seeing the success they've had, that led to our tennis team getting involved, our swim team getting involved, our golf team getting involved, all after that first year. So it's just been a uh, process of, of building. Um, one group sees success. They see their athletes healthy. The kids enjoy it, they start talking to their other friends, friends start talking to coaches, coaches start talking to me, and I mean, it's just been growing since.
0: That's an interesting kind of path to you know working with your teams at uh, Clinton. Is and I kind of have a similar is route as well because I'm a biology teacher right now mm-hmm. and doing basically strength stuff either after school or during my planning period. Um, right now, I'm working with softball, volleyball, cheer. Football it's the, the major bulk of it. Um, mm. but I kind of see the similarities just because, like, well, we're starting out with a few teams here and there, and you know, we're seeing how that works out with those teams. And I think that's where kind of our admins at the same point as well. It's like we're gonna see how this goes and then go from there, basically. Um, because what I don't know if you know this or not, but West Tennessee is pretty behind on that's training right. conditioning, so um, you know. To have something like this is pretty remarkable, especially when we have teams in, like, East Tennessee, like Alcoa, winning 22, 23 state championships, and they have strength. Coach.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's pretty much very similar to Mississippi, and it's crazy. Like, like we look at Alabama, and Alabama has so many uh, private and public schools. Like, they, they put a priority in that. Then Texas, which isn't far away, put a priority on it. Uh, Mississippi, I mean, public schools. That have strength coaches, I think I can. I think I know of three um, private schools. They're a little bit more, um, but it's funny. Like a few of our, uh, few of our girls' soccer players, their fathers are actually principals at other schools that we play against. And like I was talking to one uh, Friday night, and it was like my parents came up to me after, after our soccer game the other night, and they're telling me like, why don't we have this? Like, like those girls clearly look like they are more physical they're stronger they they don't get knocked down and like that's playing a role like why don't we have this at our school and so that led to me having conversations with that administrator and having conversations with more people like i mean success starts to leak blues and it's just the biggest issue with with public schools especially mississippi i mean the funding's not the best uh by any means that i and when you have so many county schools and the fact that if you have it for one school, you kind of have to have it for for multiple because there's there's a lot of big schools in the Jackson metro area that could have it, but the problem is they're all in county school districts where you might have what's a seven A high school that really needs it, but then there's three other three A high schools in that same school district. Like, I mean, yes, they need it too, but like that seven A could easily afford it. It's just because of all the things about trying to make certain everyone in the county has the same and finding the funds for that it just kind of holds everybody back a little bit
0: true and i work at a county school and there's only two schools high schools in our county and i I think it's that point as well Is like well if we have a distinct position here then we have to bring it over there as well um so how did you pitch it as a pe position i'm kind of curious about that
1: I I actually didn't pitch pitch it at all. It was just kind of what what happened. Um, I mean, I was just pretty much I presented it as a need, like, hey, we need this is something we need, and then like I presented it as a way essentially of it being where it was like an advanced P where I'd have athletes throughout the day, um, and essentially that was they were kind of like, well, we're not certain if we can do that just yet, which I was like, that, that's okay, but like this is a need we we have, like we are we ha- we are a school district that. That we we should have it with the the amount of focus and the kids that we have, like our kids deserve this. And so I think just in the conversation of that, they needed a, another teaching spot essentially for another sport coach, and I was that teaching spot. So they had us. They had another position for a PE teacher at our junior high. They're like, hey, can you get your PE? certification i was like are my p uh, teaching license i was like yeah i can do that r- real quick because i mean i had enough credits because my exercise science masters kind of was able to transfer over to that and i was like let me log on, on real quick add that over and add they're like all right cool so next year you'll go over to our junior high and you'll be teaching p.e over there and so right now that's a conversation that i'm working on having with our superintendent assistant superintendent about us creating it where it's an advanced PE class at our high school where we'll have athletes throughout the day come and train um hopefully that will be able to happen but I mean that I've a lot of support I'm very very grateful for the amount of support from my bosses that I have um they see the value in what we're doing um they see the success that our teams are having and um so that that that's led to me to be able to have these types of conversations, um, and that just kind of goes in. I feel like a lot of people when they first get into a spot, like they try to like get everything now, like like well, we need this, we need this, but like what what value do you bring? And it's like what value outside of a weight room? And so like I'm always trying to look for ways to bring value, uh, whether that always having a positive attitude. Like I'm a very positive person. Like one of the responsibilities for our Department at our junior highs, we have car rider duty. Well, I'm not just going to go stand out on car rider duty. I bring our speaker from the weight room up to car rider duty. We start playing music. We have fun as the kids get to school. Like, I'm going to try to be a positive impact from the beginning. Um, One thing that all my kids know of the sports that I coach is that when it gets to playoffs, if it's potentially going to be your last game, I'm going to be there. I might not be able to be at all of our regular season games, but I'm going to be at those. Um, And so last year, um, our first game for our soccer teams was up in tupelo mississippi which is about which is very north mississippi it's about three and a half hour drive from clinton and so our girl seems like coach will you drive the bus sure so i drive the bus up there we win and then from that moment on every before every playoff game, coach you drive the bus i was like i don't know he's like well we we won when you drove the bus I was like all right and so like that also one thing i found like that also helped with them buying into the program and working with me is like, especially with our female athletes, is showing up to things that matter to them gets them to actually want to like like they see the benefit of what we do. Um and their coaches, like a lot of it is also the sport coach, like pushing it and actually making it, but they see the benefit of what we do. The sport coach talks to them about how like the the benefit of what we're doing. But then the willingness to develop a relationship, the willingness to go see them do what they actually like doing. Okay, and then when they come in and, like, actually talking to them, seeing, like, how, how they're feeling and, like, what, what's going on with them, that allows them, when it's time for you to go, for them to actually want to go more. And um, so that that's just finding different ways to show them and show our community, like, hey, I'm here and, like, I'm willing to do anything I can to help these kids out and to help our schools out. That's allowed me to have a few more conversations and get a few things for our programs uh, with some. Some of my uh, bosses and higher ups
0: yeah that's an essential point i think a lot of people kind of miss as well um in a position like this right you know you can talk about numbers you can talk now trust me I'm, I'm a big data guy i love talking about numbers and increasing this and increasing that and we got faster here and there but that only goes so far i believe You know, how much of an impact are you actually making on the community? Are you outreaching to where parents understand what's going on? You know, are you developing relationships? Are you doing what you can for your athletes? And I know there's a work-life balance and everything like that, but there's come a point to where, you know, there's a minimum requirement for the job. You know, let's lift weights, let's sprint, let's do med ball tosses, whatever. And there's going above and beyond as well for your, your community, for your school, for your job, for your athletes as well. Um, also, kind of changing gears, is kind of popped in my head. So for Mississippi, what do you have to do to get a teaching license? Do you have to go through like an education prep program and take praxis uh, or?
1: So let, let, let me think if I, can, if I can get this all correct. So. so um... Let's see. Um, yeah, so there, there's a few different routes. The traditional route is what I guess it was called, where you actually major in education. You, you take your praxis, uh, your PLC, and then your subject area praxis for what to be certified in, and you'll do your student teaching, um, and then you'll get your certificate um, or your license. Um, then there's other alternate routes uh, i'm not as familiar with the alternate route programs i mean i know that they all involve you getting a praxis and actually getting that type of certification um just because i didn't go the alternate route because uh college i went to i minored in education was able to do my student teaching had enough credit hours then took both of the practices um, history praxis and then also the plc i think is what it's called or I could our that's letters wrong i don't know it's been a while since i taking those. And that's just one of those things certification. I just make certain that I have the CEUs that are needed for it. So I keep it up. But I think um, those, those are the, the routes, um, and especially like for, with public schools, like you have to be a certified teacher um, for them to even consider hiring you. I mean, yeah, you can be a paraprofessional or you can be like an outsourced thing, but for you to actually be in the school, you have to have a license. Now, that's not the same for for private schools private schools have their own own rules like they do it in all states but um having your teaching license is a requirement i mean it's kind of like kind not like you're having your cscs with with uh, a live of condition. it doesn't get you a job but it can get you put in the thrown out pile in a hurry if you don't have it like you're teaching you having a teaching license like yeah that's like the bare minimum like you have it cool you can You'll you at least get your resume maybe seen, but if you don't have it, it's just an immediate. Well, you can't can't work.
0: That's one thing about Tennessee is you have to have that teaching license, man. It, it's and you have to take all sorts of practices and stuff like that, man. I went the alternate route for Tennessee and I had to go through like a education prep program, get a master's, mm-hmm. have pass practices left and right, and like you couldn't just do like PE. Right, you yeah. have to do like chemistry or biology or English or something like that, and you know you can take health and wellness or uh, you know other practices on the side. And I was like, man, mm. man, it'd be a lot easier just to get a PE degree and just one, let it rip. Well, yeah,
1: one thing I found here uh, in Mississippi, uh, with it being such a, I mean, like pretty much all southern, especially southeastern state football is king, it will always be king, and so your PE job or your driver's ed jobs those are reserved for two groups of people they're reserved for your football coaches or your basketball coaches and that's just just what it is like like a few baseball coaches saying, i wish i could teach pe i wish i could do this i'm like yeah but you're gonna have to be in a classroom like it's just there's only so many pe jobs and typically that's that's who gets them gets them first it's just like well it is what it is
0: yeah i realized that pretty quickly at this job here other than uh, they had biology opening and saw had the biology endorsement said oh we could put you here it's like great all right
1: yeah um sounds good <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh let's go ahead and start wrapping things up here uh we're going to do this last segment It's called conjugate coach spotlight so is there anyone that you want to shout out in the strength and conditioning world
1: yeah so uh for the uh, strength and conditioning world um miss our miss city state director george adams he's over at mra um, does a wonderful job, and uh, a couple other coaches that I've gotten to know recently that that are doing it. You got uh, Blaine Donahoe over at Good Pasture. I know he's been been on um, a guy who's going to come on a little bit later, Tyler Franklin, who, who might ha- have me beat for the uh, best mustache uh, award. Um, then uh, Cade McGee over in Alabama does fantastic. Then uh, another coach. He's not necessarily a strength coach, um, but guy who I think a lot of people need to to be who just provides a lot of value Um, his name's Chase Stewart Uh, he's a pitching coach at a junior college here in Mississippi who just absolutely kills it and um, the things that he can get his athletes to and just his willingness to learn and have a growth mindset is just awesome
0: awesome coach and I know a lot a lot of those guys are um, you know they' are state directors they're going to be state coaches of the year, possibly even regional coaches of the year from the n h s s c a so um you know you're you're listening out great company there man
1: yeah, yeah there there there's a lot, a lot of good dudes around and that's that's one of the the great things about um this part of the profession with the high school coaches is man everybody's everybody wants to help everybody i mean it's not like some when you get higher up into some colleges and stuff where people just all about logos and stuff like that. I mean, none of us really know what anybody's logo means around here. And so it's just a bunch of good dudes trying to help everybody else, trying to help their kids.
0: Exactly, man. Well, Andrew, again, I want to thank you for being on, man, taking the time on a Monday morning. I know you got school and everything, man, but uh, I want to thank you again for coming on and, Just kind of chopping it up about everything strength and conditioning from med balls to buy in to, um, you know, how do you even get into a high school position, uh, like we are right now? So, um, Andrew, I want to thank you again for being on.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Really enjoyed our time together, dude.
0: Absolutely. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at Conjugate or Conjugate Chats Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also, Follow Andrew on his social medias as well. In the name of strength, stay strong and have a day day.